Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 30. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, we're going to be taking a uh, one-week break from our series on the Ten Commandments, Uh, although the sermon that you're about to hear in many ways is very related to the Ten Commandments because it's sort of a prequel to it. Uh, And the reason why we're taking a break is because we have a guest speaker for today. Uh, Jeff is a native of Los Angeles but moved out to the city about six or seven years ago. Uh, I could have sworn that uh, we went to seminary together and that's when we met, but... uh, I was, I, I was uh, corrected because apparently I graduated and then Jeff came. And so I, I continually forget how old I really am. Um, uh, but Jeff is a uh, married to Christine, uh, associate pastor at Astoria Community Church, uh, a PCA brethren, and just a really, really good dude. And so why don't we give it up for Jeff as he makes his way forward at this time. 
Thank you, Aaron. Uh, I met Aaron as Aaron had graduated seminary. He set up a Minds for Mission conference. He just wanted people in Southern California to have a heart for missions. And I went to one of those um, classes, and he taught it. And that's how we got connected. And it's, it's, it's been amazing to see Aaron plant this church and kind of serve you, guys, serve you guys. And so it's an honor to come here today and speak to you and give you God's word. Uh, before we begin, let me just uh, pray for us um, and get our hearts ready for this sermon. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that we're able to come here and worship your holy name. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be here in the midst of us. Father, we know that if I speak on my own power and if we listen on our own powers, they're just merely words. They have no effect. But with the presence of your Holy Spirit, we know it can change our hearts and our minds and become more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. May you work in us. And may we give you all the glory. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So while I'm not talking about one of the commandments per se today, I did want us to talk about this particular passage because I believe this passage, Exodus 14, gives us the context in understanding all of the Ten Commandments. A lot of the times the Ten Commandments are preached and taught in isolation, and they can usually be used to condemn someone. They can be used to uh, make someone feel bad or feel judged or somehow make them feel that they're not living up to God's standards. But if we take the Ten Commandments only in isolation, then we either misuse them or use them inappropriately, just the way I've described. But when they are in context, these commandments given to us are life-giving. They're able to give us perspective, and they're able to show us God for who he truly is. And so one of the key components of understanding the Ten Commandments better is understanding our baptism. For some of you, you may not even remember when you were baptized, and you may be thinking, I haven't thought about my baptism in forever. What does that have to do with the Ten Commandments? And I would say it has everything to do with the Ten Commandments because it gives the Ten Commandments its context. Baptism is your marriage to Jesus, and it's what defines your relationship with Jesus that defines these commandments given to you. Let me just give you one quick example. If I went up to my wife and I said, hey, lady, give me a kiss, it would be, you might perceive that as creepy, but most times it's kind of cute or romantic. But say I just go up to a random girl and I say, hey, lady, give me a kiss. Now that's into creepy territory. It's the same commandments, but the context dictates how we perceive it. If I'm married and I say, kiss me, there's an intention of love behind it. I want to create something. If I just say, hey, lady, to some random stranger, kiss me, then it's weird. Who are you? Why are you asking me to do these things? You shouldn't think that. You should just run, honestly. But so we come to this situation with the Ten Commandments. These commandments are given to people who have been baptized, who are in a relationship with with Jesus. And that's how we need to understand these things. So I just want to quickly go over with you Exodus chapter 14 and the text we read today. As we start with the text, it starts at verse 10, and it says that Pharaoh had regretted letting the Israelites go. So just a little bit of context. If you know this story, 
uh, you would know that Pharaoh and um, the Israelites had um, a particular relationship. It was slave and master. And Pharaoh and Egypt were the masters. The Israelites were the slaves. And then Moses had come into the picture, sent down ten plagues, and Pharaoh had finally decided to let the people go. And these are the people that are leaving. Another thing to understand about Pharaoh is that Pharaoh and Egypt were the most powerful people of their time. There was no king like him. There was no nation like him. And what they represent in the Bible is the ultimate power of the world. And what they represent is dominance over the Israelites. But after Moses had freed them, they thought they were free from Pharaoh. So you can, you can understand that when they were going to the promised land and they turn back and they see Pharaoh, they are distraught. Because Pharaoh is the most powerful person in the world. And so what he represents now at this point is death. Pharaoh has come to destroy these people who has left his grasp. And so as the people and the Israelites see these people, on, uh, see the army on the horizon, they turn to Moses and they complain to him. This is what they say, verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? They turn on to Moses. Remember, at one time, they looked upon Moses, and they said, Moses is going to save us. God was going to save us. But now, as they see Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they freak out, and they begin to complain. And it's easy to criticize the Israelites here, but I want us to sit and think about what they are dealing with. The one thing we Christians do not do well, though we should do well, is think about death. Now, our society does not like to think about death. Nobody likes to think about death. Whether you're Christian or not Christian, death affects us all, yet we spend almost no time thinking about it. And yet when it comes upon us, we oftentimes act like the Israelites. We freak out. We start complaining. We say, why does this happen to me? And usually our ends, our death, are not at peace. We are not at peace. We usually go struggling and clawing and not understanding this concept that is before us. I want to quote Dr. Paul Kalanithi. Um, He is a doctor that wrote the book, When Breath Becomes Air. Um, I don't know if some of you had a chance to read this book, but I highly recommend it. It's a doctor uh, who is a neurosurgeon, and he got lung cancer at the age of 36, And as he got lung cancer, he began writing his biography, not knowing if he would make it or not. He never got to finish the book because he passed away at age 38. And so this is him just writing his memoirs in the face of death. And it's not a great story where he miraculously heals. He dies writing in the process, but this is his reflection during that time. It says, death, so familiar to me in my work, Remember, he was a doctor. Death, so familiar, familiar to me in my work, was now paying a personal visit. Here we were, finally face to face, and yet nothing about it seemed recognizable. Standing at the crossroads where I should have been able to see and follow the footprints of the countless patients I had treated over the years, I saw instead only a blank, harsh, vacant, gleaming white desert, as if a sandstorm had erased all trace of familiarity. 
Here we follow his journey as he's diagnosed by other doctors. And even those doctors who diagnosed him would not even begin to talk about death. Our society is opposed to death, yet death is the most powerful force in this world. It is the most powerful force, and it puts everything into perspective because it is so final. When we encounter death, there should be a sense of reverence and fear that we encounter, that we should feel. Our society is so good at taking death away from us, we hardly ever think about it. If you look at our society, we never see old people or people who are aging. They are all put into a building or a hospital. If you've ever been to a funeral, they even um, make up the person so they don't look like they're dead. They look like they're just restfully sleeping. Death is all around us, yet we choose to deny it, and we don't know the evil that it truly is. And if we would just as Christians sit and think about what death is, or the finality of death, we would come to understand what is truly important and what, it, and what questions are truly meant to be answered. So here are the Israelites. They are faced with this problem of death. As they see Pharaoh and the Egyptians come, they see their fate right before them. And as they see death, how do they respond? They look to Moses, and what does Moses say? Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. These are amazing words, and these are words that are given to the Christian. As we encounter death, it is not um, commandments of eat healthier, exercise more. Here's the words that are given to us. Fear not. Do not fear death. And more than not fearing death, stand still. Remain silent. For it is the Lord who will save you. The greatest strength of the Christian has always been understanding our own weakness, understanding our own feebleness and our own mortality. Christians should always remain humble because we are to remember that we are weak, that against the great powers of this world, we can do nothing in our own will. Yet rather, we trust in the Lord. And the Lord has promised that he will deliver us, that he will deliver his people. And what is it exactly that the Lord will do? As we continue reading Exodus chapter 14, verse 19, we see what the Lord does. It says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night with one coming near the other, without one coming near the other all night. I want to quickly um, talk about the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord makes many appearances throughout the book of Exodus. And just quickly off the bat, that is the Hebrew word is angel, or it can be mean messenger, but rather this person that we see 
as an angel is really the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Church historians have all acknowledged that it was most likely Jesus who was present at the burning bush. Um, It was Jesus who was leading the people out of Egypt. That is why in the book of John, when people ask Jesus, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. People were shocked to find out that Jesus would claim himself as God. So it is Jesus in the midst of the people going before them, acting as this cloud, separating day and night, making sure that he is covering the people of Israel. And as Jesus leads the way, he looks to Moses and gives him instruction, and this is what Moses does after he receives words from Jesus. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And here I want to ask us a question. Why were the waters divided? Why does everyone look at this miracle and think it's the greatest miracle ever? Have you ever thought why God would choose this exact episode or scene to show his greatness? What do the waters signify? Well, if you're steeped in Old Testament literature, you would understand what God and what Jesus was doing. What Jesus is doing at this new moment is he is beginning to create something new. The miracle is not the splitting of the sea. The miracle is that he is making a whole new nation, a whole new people. The day and the night, the water splitting, the wind coming through, these are all echoes of the creation narrative found in Genesis 1 and 2. What we are witnessing in this episode is a new creation. What was the original problem? It was death. It was the oppression of Pharaoh. And if you remember the ten plagues, what does God do? He sends down ten plagues to destroy Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. And when he does this, what is God saying? To destroy sin, to destroy corruption, to save people from this type of evil. Everything must die. Everything must go. What Moses is effectively showing the people is that God is creating something new altogether. He is creating a people that no longer have to fear death, that no longer have to fear evil, that no longer have to worry about the pharaohs and the Egyptians of the world. Only if they would trust in the Lord will they be saved. Verse 22. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And after they had walked through to the other side of the Red Sea, we see that God closes the waters upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And not one Egyptian remained. God totally destroys the evil and the threat against the Israelites. This is what God does for the Israelites. Now, how does that story apply to us? That's a great Old Testament story. That's a great children's Bible study time. How does that apply to me here sitting in New York City today? 
Well, the New Testament authors understood this scene to be significant for the Christian life. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Brothers and sisters, that episode is what happens during your baptism. Baptism is not a time where we just dress up and sprinkle water on your head. What is happening in the spiritual realm and in the spiritual aspect is that the walls of the Red Sea are rising up and they are surrounding the people of God and they are escaping death, evil, sin, and oppression. And what is happening before us is that they are becoming a new creation. The baptism, this picture is what we are supposed to imagine when we see someone getting baptized, when we are getting baptized. What is marriage? If we just define it simply, it's just two people who are in a contractual agreement. But no one thinks of the definition. They think of the wedding ceremony. It's two people coming together, dressed in white. Everyone looks good. Everyone is handsome. Everyone is beautiful. And they're coming together to express love, to start a great journey together. Baptism defined biblically is just simply that you are engrafted into Christ and now you receive all those promises. But I don't want to stay at just the definition. You need to see the picture. This miracle of the sea surrounding you is what is happening when you are saved. It means that Jesus has saved you. It means that he loves you. It means that he has brought you out from the grips of evil and death, and you are now saved. A little bit more on that. Most people say, but I was baptized when I was a baby. How could I know what was happening? How could I even begin to comprehend what's going on? I, of course I don't think about my baptism. It's, it's, it's so far away from me. And other people who have been baptized, it's like, well, it's just one Sunday. I don't really remember much about it. But we need to remember the significance of this act. It is the Lord who is doing the work. It is the Lord who has always done the work. I want you to think with me just for a second about those people who are walking through the Red Sea. As some of the people are walking through the Red Sea, I can only imagine that there were some people who looked up at the walls of water and they said, praise God for he has saved us today. Salvation has come. Blessed be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then there are some in the group who look at the walls of water and say, we are going to die. We are going to get destroyed oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us? And then there are babies who are there. They have no idea what's going on, but their parents are carrying them through these walls. Then there are children who probably don't even understand what's going on. They're tugging at mommy and daddy like, I want to go home. I don't want to be here. But yet there is this miraculous picture that is happening, and every single one of those people were saved despite what they felt, despite whether they strongly believed or weakly believed. It was the Lord who saved them. 
This is an important thing for us to remember when we are baptized. For some of you, you may be struggling in the faith and you may say, Jesus probably doesn't love me anymore. That is wrong. You did nothing to garner your entry into salvation. Therefore, you can do nothing to leave it. The walls of waters have surrounded you. The love of God has pushed you through. And despite you remembering your baptism or not, you are forgiven and you are loved. Now, understanding baptism, understanding this, this is what happens. Then we can understand the Ten Commandments. Remember, the Ten Commandments comes after this scene. And for us, the Ten Commandments really come to us after our baptism. And it is when you begin to understand what these Ten Commandments do, you will gladly follow them. Oftentimes, the Ten Commandments are used to judge and condemn. That's how my parents used them. Every time I disobeyed, they said, Remember, honor your father and mother. And I always get rebuked. Or you lied. God must not be happy with you. But that is not the point of the Ten Commandments. If you see the whole scene, there is the creation narrative. The ten plagues coming. It shows the destruction of the world. And then you're saved. You're a new creation. And I don't think this is a coincidence. Then you get ten commandments for life. Ten plagues to destroy the world. Ten commandments to give you life. These Ten Commandments are there to make sure that you live your most exciting and best life now. They are not meant to condemn, but they are meant to thrust you into not settling for the things of this world. We think little commandments are insignificant, like honor your father and mother. But if we look out into the world, most mother and fathers... And their relationship to the children are broken. There are some of us here where when we hear that commandment, we say, I'm not going to honor my father and mother. They don't deserve it. And you might be right and you might be correct. But imagine if you lived your life and where you were saved by Jesus Christ and you said you are free to pursue your parents despite what your parents say about you. That is a life worth living. To love your mother and father for simply who they are despite their actions is amazing. Worshiping God with all your soul, heart, and might, that is the most enthralling thing that you can do. Not stealing, but giving life to others. Making sure that they have all the ability to experience life at its greatest. Not committing adultery, but respecting men and women and their marriages. A beautiful marriage can can uplift a whole community. Bad marriages can tear down communities altogether. If we would just believe in Jesus Christ and that see that these Ten Commandments are supposed to give us life, we would see the excitement of following the Ten Commandments. I have had the um, opportunity to lead a lot of community groups with young professionals. And every time um, we lead, uh, I begin this community group by saying, if you were to die, or you can picture your death, what would it look like? And this community group is filled usually with non-Christians, some Christians, but usually the answers are all the same. 
I hope that when I die, I'm surrounded by the ones I love, by family and friends, and I've left a legacy. Beautiful. What are you doing today that gets to that goal? And usually say, I'm working like 60, 70 hours a week. I don't really see my friends or family. I don't really know how it connects. Everybody knows that the Ten Commandments is ultimately what life is about. No one on their deathbed says, I wish I worked a little bit more. No one says on their deathbed, I wish I brunched just a little bit more. I wish I posted two more pictures on Instagram. Nobody says this on our deathbed, yet we are consumed with it. We think that it is important, and I would say that is the power of the world that leads to death. But yet here are the Ten Commandments. You are saved. You are a new creation. Be bold in what you do. Love Jesus all the way, and he will take you on a journey that is amazing and beautiful. You will get to experience that thing you are looking for, that everyone is looking for when they think, when they go travel, or when they try to experience new things that the world offers them. If you were to follow Jesus and you just understood how much he loved you, the greatest love known to mankind, then you would live an exhilarating life. Jesus is known for his great love for his people. We talk about Jesus today because of his death on the cross. We talk about Jesus today not because of his teachings, but because of how much he loved us. Even non-Christian people talk about Jesus because of his love. Do you know what they don't talk about? Jesus the carpenter. No one talks about what great tables he made. No one talks about the benches or, or, or the cupboards he made. And he did it for a very long time, up to the age 30. For us, the Ten Commandments is a chance to live like Christ and to love greatly and beautifully. And it is only when we understand that Jesus has saved us to live a life like that do we find the Ten Commandments enthralling. I know the way we use it, maybe you've encountered the Ten Commandments on the other side, where you never understood baptism or where you never understood who Jesus was. But I'm telling you, once you see the Ten Commandments through the lens of Jesus, you will never turn back. And you will see the great love that has been bestowed upon you. And what you would want to do is to give it to others. I hope this is the vision of Exilic. And I hope and pray for your church that this would be a church known for its great love for one another and the community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. For all that you have done. Thank you for the great love that you have shown us. Lord Father, help us to remember that it is by your spirit and by your son that we are able to love. God, please help us to continually see you, to be driven towards you, and to give you all the glory and honor. Amen.